some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Good morning, folks. Welcome into the first ever edition of the Quick Six. This is Jason Martin with you, host of the Big Six, host of the Pop Six, host of the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio. Squared Circle Radio. Is that it? Sometimes outkick the coverage. Sometimes your favorite shows here on The Zone when folks take time off. You've heard me. You've seen me around. We're doing something new. And thanks to technology, I can sit in a recliner like I'm doing right here on a Sunday night. And I can record this thing right into this trusty four-digit cost huge smartphone slash phablet that I have here. And I can riff on football because that's what I want to do. And with Titans Radio on Monday nights, of course, with the Mike Vrabel Show and then Tuesday nights and Thursday nights with uh, Mac Talk. I've only got a couple of days in which to chat with you. And by the time we get to Wednesday, I've sitting there, I've been talking to people in the buildings, just like, yeah, I can go back and I can talk about what happened on Saturday and Sunday, but a lot of it is going to be old hat. You're going to have heard days of people analyzing it by that point. And even though I might do some of that on the big six, it'd be better to be able to look ahead, but I don't want to never be able to comment on anything. Real quick, let me remind you, big six takeaways pieces after every Tennessee Volunteers football game, after every Tennessee Titans game, and another just quick aside, two weeks from yesterday, that being September the 22nd, is my wedding. And so that weekend, you will not get much from me, nor will you get much from me for the next week, week and a half or so, as I'll be uh, with my new bride on our honeymoon. So we're starting this, and then we're going to take a fairly quick break, and then we're going to come back, and then you're going to get used to this for a long, long time to come. And I'm excited about it, and always cool that folks want my opinions and have asked me, asked me last week, you know, hey, did you comment on Tennessee, Georgia State? The answer was no because I hadn't had an opportunity to do so, and I saved what I did want to say for the Tennessee Tailgate Show. Oh, yeah, I'm also the host of that with Joey Kent. I, I, I say it every night on the Big Six. You know that I have no problem, and not just no problem, but I, I feel a responsibility to some degree to just let you know how blessed I feel to have the opportunities that I do. I am so blessed. I'm blessed in every way this this marriage that's upcoming in a couple of weeks. I can't even tell you how wonderful this woman is. And I hope that you are doing well in your life also. But let's talk some ball here. Titans Browns, you can read my Big Six takeaways over at 1045thezone.com at the Big Six blog. But the big takeaway was this. I said that I didn't think Cleveland Browns were going to make the playoffs because there's too much volatility and too many unanswered questions, and too much inexperience on that roster. And what we saw on Sunday was an undisciplined football team that had a lot of hype, that talked a lot, 
and then showed up and got beaten by a football team that showed up to beat them. My six takeaways, if you did not see the piece, Arthur Smith understands his personnel. INT, thy name is Mayfield. He had three in the fourth quarter and four drives. The other one was a turnover on downs. Mariota, if you want to – look, Mariota didn't play bad in this game, but eight has got to stop taking these awful sacks. It happened again on Sunday. It's like he is averse to throwing the football away. I tweeted out from at J. Mart Zone on Sunday during the game that he treats that football like it's a newborn baby and he just can't even put it down. Bro, throw that infant, heave that infant into the 10th row. I promise you there's going to be another down after that. But he did play fairly well when he had some protection. There's still a lot of questions to be asked about Marcus Mariota, but this isn't really the day to mention those because of everything else that went well, including how about the Rook, A.J. Brown, three catches, 100 yards, and boy, what a beauty on the 51-yarder. I saw Paul Kaharski, my colleague, kind of retweet the video of the move that he made at midfield on that long run. His yak is going to be fun to watch. He's got some moves. So does his his partner in crime, D.K. Metcalf, by the way, who played really well up in Seattle. The only Ole Miss receiver that had a tough night on Sunday was Dante Moncrief, who dropped three balls in that just thrashing that the Patriots gave the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we'll talk talk about that here in a bit. So A.J. Brown was great. Delaney Walker caught two touchdowns. Boy, it's good to see him back in two-tone blue on the field and healthy and with some talent around him. Adam Humphreys is a chain-moving kind of guy. I mean, you add Corey Davis to this mix. If Derrick Henry's going to continue to do what he did, which was my next takeaway, which was Derrick Henry picks up right where he left off, had the 75-yarder on the ground for the touchdown, caught another or was a 75-yarder uh, reception, actually, that he took to the house for a touchdown. I'd like to see him get 25 carries a game, but he's getting he got 19 in this, and he was effective. And so you don't have to overwork him in a game like this, so I'm okay with that. He had 159 total yards in score, over four per carry, and he was my first pick in a fantasy draft this year, but it was an auto draft because I kind of forgot about it and was in Philadelphia with my fiance and – so that's who was drafted, and I was pretty happy about that. And my quarterback, which was like seventh round, the computer drafted Dak Prescott for me, so that worked out. Not going to talk about my fantasy team very much, just so, you, just so you know. You don't have to worry about that. AFC South may have gotten even more wide open. Andrew Luck retires. Jadevian Clowney's in Seattle. They bring in Laramie Tunsil down in Houston. But there's a lot of new things going on across the entire division. What's Jacoby Brissett going to do? He played pretty well against the Chargers, but the Chargers still got the job done. The Colts, it's I don't think they are going to win the division, but I think that they're still going to cause trouble because I think Brissett could start for some teams in this league. And then you look at Jacksonville, Nick Foles, broken clavicle. Who knows when he's coming back? But you've got Gardner Minshew in there for the Jags, and so it's another reason why the Titans should believe they absolutely can and maybe even should win this division. I believe that puts pressure on the Titans, but they answered the bell on this day. 43-13, just an absolute beatdown. Baker Mayfield after the game, he he gives the quote. He's just like, yeah, everybody's going to say we're trash now. That's good. Nobody's going to say you're trash now. But when you talk and you get punked, expect the wrath the next day. 
The question will be, how will the national media care about what happened? Are they going to talk about the Browns not being good? Or are they going to give credit to the fact that the Tennessee Titans just flat out outplayed them, especially in that second half? 12-6 to had me scared when they were unable to do anything with the football after that safety. That could have been disastrous. It looked like the old Titans that couldn't score points. Then the defense just balled out. And let's talk about 37-year-old Cam Wake and his two-and-a-half sacks, getting to 100 in his career. Just a beastly performance from him. But this was just a great day. Arthur Smith, to me, this was the best four quarters I've seen from an offensive coordinator by the Tennessee Titans since before LaFleur got there last year, and he's now the head coach of the Packers. But I never saw a consistent four quarters that made logical sense from play to play to play as what I saw from Arthur Smith. It seemed like he didn't do too much outlandish stuff. He didn't outthink himself. He put his guys in position to succeed, and it worked. So the Titans are 1-0, and Jacoby Brissett is up next uh, next week in a key division matchup. But the one thing that I thought going into this was, even though it's not a must-win, I feel like the Browns are going to be around that wild card mark. They're going to be one of those teams where tie breaks are going to become important. So to beat them may give you a little bit of a margin for error, depending on how other results go, obviously. But the, if you're competing and you have the same record as the Browns, it's going to help. And I think you could have the same record as the Browns. I had them winning the division, them meaning the Titans at 8-8, eight and eight, and the Browns not making the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. So it's going to be a tight logjam, and maybe the Titans are going to be better than I think. But first week can also be kind of strange, and you don't want to overreact to things that are happening. Let's take a look at the rest of the NFL. Patriots absolutely just annihilated the Steelers. I'm pretty sure I've got to go back. No, I didn't have I had them in the AFC title game. The Steelers, they may just not be good. Tomlin might, it might actually be done for Tomlin there. Their defensive coordinator, I saw Warren Sharp just light him up on Twitter during the game about just how inept he was in terms of what he was calling against the Patriots. And then there's the flip side. New England 33-3. Tom Brady, same as it ever was. 24, 36, 341, and three scores. Philip Dorsett catches two touchdowns. They've got Josh Gordon out there making plays. They've got Edelman, of course, making plays. And who is walking in the door now? Antonio freaking Brown. And I want to stop real quick and I want to talk about Antonio Brown. I don't know if this whole thing was orchestrated or not. I said on Saturday morning that I was a little concerned about AB. And there has been a lot of the speculation and the armchair diagnosis of his mental faculties or lack thereof or certainly lack of stability or maybe he's bipolar or maybe Vontez Burfecht's hit that concussed him two years ago has left him kind of jacked up since and all of these things. And look, all of that stuff may still be true. I'm not going to apologize for what I said because his behavior was erratic and nonsensical and it looked like someone that was completely unhinged. Now we saw, I think it was Adam Schefter on Sunday night mentioned that he had reached out to various social media firms to gauge how to exacerbate an exit, expedite an exit from Oakland. Like what could he do to make them release him, to speed up that release process? So this whole thing could be some elaborate work. If you see Antonio Brown show up and just start playing football and there's not a peep out of him and there's not really any trouble anymore and he just goes out there, I don't know if this can be done or not. But should this even be allowed? Did he ever want to play for Oakland? 
or if this turns out to be true, is it just what Scott Kazmar and Mike Tanier and other folks have postulated that the Steelers were never going to trade him to New England? So he found a patsy, and then he made himself so toxic, just like he did in Pittsburgh, to get out that door. He did the same thing to get out of Oakland to where he could go anywhere he wanted, and then he just signed that little short deal with the, with the Patriots. I'm not saying I believe that conspiracy theory. I am going to tell you that the fact that what I just said to you doesn't sound implausible says a whole lot about how you probably feel and how a lot of people feel and how the general consensus is around both Antonio Brown and the New England Patriots because the Patriots have had their share of brush-ups and scandals – Belichick, Brady, Deflategate, Spygate, and now, I don't know, Helmetgate? Maybe that whole thing was contrived. I don't know. I still think this whole thing was not necessarily a work. But him trying to get out of Oakland once Mike Mayock suspended him or threatened to suspend him, it was a wrap, man. The one thing we know about Antonio Brown is if you don't love him, he can't be around you. On Hard Knocks, he's sitting there reading fan mail. And he's talking about, oh, everybody love A.B. And then he goes to high school and he's dancing with these people and he's signing autographs and taking pictures with fans in Winnipeg and all this kind of stuff. He loves you if you love him because he loves him or that's how he wants to come across. Seems like to me he probably doesn't love himself. But if you show some level of criticism towards him, you're done. You knew he was checked out by that point. And it has greatly harmed Mike Mayock. I think it has harmed John Gruden as well. John Gruden, I don't know what in the world John Gruden's talking about when he says, I'm proud of how we tried to make this work. Dude, you self-castrated your organization and you handed the rusty scissors to somebody who calls himself Mr. Big Chest. That's what you did. But now he's going to New England, and maybe we can just cancel the season at this point. It's possible. But they looked great. And the Patriots' schedule coming up, just in case you were wondering, at Miami, the worst team in football, which I predicted before the season started, you've got multiple players now reportedly wanting out of Miami and telling their agents, get me a trade. I don't want to play for a tanking franchise. This team is trying to bottom out. I feel bad for Brian Flores. He will not be around for the rebuild. He's just going to be a part of this, and then he's going to be unceremoniously just deposited away when they draft Trevor Lawrence or whatever it is that they're going to do. It's gross. They go at Miami, then they go to the Jets. That won't be too easy, but the Jets blew a game against the Bills that bothers me only because for the first time ever I was playing in a survivor pool, and I thought, you know what? It's the Bills. I like the Jets. I actually have them making the playoffs once Andrew Luck retired. I thought, okay, this 8-8 eight eight will get them into the wild card because the tie breaks. And then they found a way to let Josh Allen come back in the second half after being up 16 to nothing and losing that game. And so I'm out of my survivor pool in week one. That's fantastic. Then they go at Buffalo, and then they go at Washington, and then they play against the New York Giants. They don't face almost – it's one of the easiest schedules in football. The first half of the schedule in particular. I mean, they've got some tough ones down the stretch, but they could easily be an 8-9-0 football team especially with Antonio Brown. If he's right, I mean, there's, all bets are off. I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe one of the five to ten best wide receivers in the history of football. That's what we saw. Dolphins got boat race 59-10. to 10. 
Ravens get the job done there. Lamar Jackson throws five touchdowns, and he has the walk-off shot on the podium afterwards where he says, pretty good for a running back. Look, I've been critical of whether I think Lamar Jackson can do this long-term. One game against a team that's trying to tank is not going to change how I am skeptical of this. But I certainly would love to see this continue. I mean, it's going to be great for the NFL if Lamar Jackson is what those that have not been skeptical of him believe him to be. I mean, he's good for football, no doubt about that. And he's fun to watch, man. And when you go and you put up the kind of numbers that he put up today in Hollywood Brown, talk about somebody having a great debut as a rookie, a couple touchdowns, 147 yards, I think it was. Lamar Jackson could talk all he wants. And congrats to him. That was a hell of a performance. Falcons, Vikings, man. Falcons, one of my little trendy picks for the postseason and potentially going to the Super Bowl or close. I have the Cowboys actually in the Super Bowl. But they did not look good today. And the Vikings did. Even though Kirk Cousins didn't even throw for 100 yards in the game. The defense looked very good, but mainly it was Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook who we knew what he was capable of, and then injuries kind of slowed down maybe the maturation process on the field. But if he is good, I mean, Stephon Diggs wasn't 100%. Thielen caught a touchdown in this game. This is more the Vikings team you expect to see, but the Falcons did not look good at all. And the coaches sounded inept after the game in how they sort of tried to blow it off like it wasn't a big deal. They understood what they were doing, da 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 I'm not so sure that that staff's going to be intact after this season. We already talked about Bill's Jets. Good on Josh Allen. Fourth quarter rally. This was a 16-3 to ball game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Bills scored the last 14 points and won it. Bad loss for the Jets. Gase and Darnold, that chemistry was not there on this day. Le'Veon Bill showed some of the things that you want to see from him. The defense showed some of the things. And Josh Allen, look, he had a pretty good postseason. We knew he was a good athlete. He ran for one. He threw for one. He also threw a couple you don't like, but it's, I mean, certainly the jury's not in on him, but I think it's, I think we're getting to that point where, look, he's not a bust. He's a baller. He's a gamer. He's going to try to do everything he can to win games. And boy, you talk about somebody that got burned coming out of college with the way people went after him. And oh, how dare the Bills go up and take him then when they could have had this and they could have had this and they could take this guy from Wyoming who couldn't even win there and couldn't even throw there and had bad accuracy and da 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 da. Well, they're one and zero right now. Eagles Redskins is fascinating because that was a twenty to nothing game. Redskins looked to have it in total control, and then Carson Wentz went crazy and Deshaun Jackson went crazy with two deep touchdown grabs and they win it by five. Eagles should be a good team. This was a performance, I don't know if it raises red flags or not, if you're an Eagles fan, but the Redskins shouldn't be very good. They don't really have a quarterback room, even though Keenum played pretty well early. I still think Dwayne Haskins can play, but it's going to take some time, and who knows when he actually gets in there. This is the result that was expected. This is the one I didn't want to pick in the survivor pool because I'm like, well, I might need the Eagles later on in the year. Well, I guess I needed them in week one. Rams over Panthers, 30-27. to I felt like going in, this was one of the better games because these are two potential playoff teams. If Cam can stay healthy, McCaffrey continuing to grow. Uh, A lot to like on those two teams. Certainly the Rams. We know what the Rams are capable of. 
And Gurley looked pretty good here. Goff looked pretty good here. Higby catches a touchdown. I mentioned that because he's a Western Kentucky graduate, as am I. So I'm always going to mention the Hilltoppers when they do good stuff. Three-point win for the Rams over the Panthers. Carolina is a team that if things start to go awry, they go very awry because they go as Cam Newton goes, and he is a front-running kind of player. He's the guy that sulks after losses in press conferences and says a lot of things that just look like he's the unhappiest person in the world when things are starting to go bad. So if the Panthers have a slow start and they end up like, let's say they're 1-3 and three or something like that, watch out because it could be a bottom-out kind of year for them. Cam has all kinds of talent, but his composure, he can't handle losing, which is laudable except when it becomes an albatross, and that's what we've seen. Chiefs-Jags, not going to see Tyreek Hill for a little while. David Chow thinks we might not see him for a lot longer than Ian Rappaport and some of the other reports seem to say, but weird injury where he just leaves and they're like, it's a shoulder, but they're taking him to the hospital. And they're like, no, it's where the shoulder actually attaches to the spine. It's okay, well, that doesn't sound good. Mahomes gets banged up. The Jags still have uh, serious emotional issues. Miles Jack, I don't know what that was. But not only does he get ejected for throwing a punch, he then has to be restrained by multiple players to try and not get involved in a further altercation after he was tossed from the game. They're hitting Tyreek Hill late. They're hitting Patrick Mahomes at the knees, and they're hitting him late, and they injured him a little bit. Chow also believes that he's not going to be right for a couple of weeks in terms of his mobility, but he's still Patrick Mahomes. And Sammy Watkins healthy. Whew. Three touchdowns. What a performance by him. I've got the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, and I've got Patrick Mahomes being a two-time MVP back-to-back this season. Jags lose Nick Foles in this one. Minshew played pretty well, but how much can he keep that up? Even though I told you I think Nick Foles is a backup quarterback disguised as a starter, I I also think he's one of the most rootable players in the NFL. And I hate that this happened because a broken clavicle, I mean, it could be the season. He'll he'll probably come back, but it'll probably be double-digit weeks before he does. And I had the Jaguars in the bottom of that division, so by the time he comes back, it might be a wrap on that season. Chargers win over the Colts. They had a big lead, and then the Colts kind of got their way back into it, just didn't make enough. Eckler was fantastic. I tweeted out at Jmart Zone that Austin Eckler on that one long touchdown play is why you don't have to pay Melvin Gordon and why the Chargers are not going to pay Melvin Gordon. Eckler played fantastic football in this game, and it stood out. He had he only had 12 carries for 58 yards, but he also had six catches for 96 yards and three total touchdowns, one on the ground and two through the air. Marlon Mack ran for 174 yards in this game. That's no surprise to us. Here in Nashville, we know exactly how good he is. He was fabulous in this football game. And Jacoby Brissett was 21 of 27 with no interceptions. Took two sacks. One of them was bad. But he outplayed Phillip Rivers if you look at their QBR, which is sort of a flawed statistic. But he only had six incompletions in the game. He played well. He had some chemistry with T.Y. Hilton. They lose Devin Funches maybe for the year as well in this game meaning the Colts, and that's a that's a tough loss for them because they're potentially a wild-card kind of team, and so are the Chargers because I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to actually get by the Chiefs in the AFC West. 
So that's another one of those tie-breaking games, kind of the same way I felt about Titans-Browns. Seahawks-Bengals was interesting because the Bengals were better than I thought they were going to be in a hostile environment. The Seahawks' defense is not very good. This is not the Earl Thomas-Cam Chancellor defense. It's certainly not the Legion of Boom. John Ross showed up and showed out in this game, and at one point it was because the secondary jumped early. And that's if Earl Thomas is there, it's probably an interception from Andy Dalton. Instead, it's not. Chris Carson has two touchdowns. They're going to continue to run the ball. They're going to run it well. Doesn't matter if it's fancy. Seahawks win it 21-20. to And DK Metcalf immediately looked like he's going to be a force in this league. And there was a lot of... It was a lot of good vibes, it felt like, between Metcalf and Russell Wilson in the game, similar to how I felt about Mariota and A.J. Brown. So we'll see how those old Miss rookies continue to progress throughout the season. Cowboys-Giants. I know it's the Giants, but holy cow, was Dak Prescott impressive. Four touchdowns in this game. Zeke looked good. Kellen Moore, the scheming and the way in which he utilized the play action and just the routes and everything that was set up for Prescott Prescott may have gotten paid off this one game. They're already talking about a deal as imminent. I mean, he went 25 of 32 for 405 and four touchdowns. Michael Gallup, 158 yards on seven grabs. Eli didn't even play that badly. And again, we know it is the Giants. Saquon went for 120 on 11 carries. Zeke had 13 carries for 53 yards and a score. He was sort of on a pitch count, but he was still out there for a lot of snaps. The Cowboys were my pick to make it to the Super Bowl this year I still didn't think I still don't think Dak is an elite quarterback but it's hard not to say that that was maybe the most impressive performance this side of Lamar Jackson all day long you can only play who's on your schedule and good teams should be able to throttle bad teams just take advantage of them manipulate them and just beat them like dogs and that's what we saw here Dak Prescott just shredded them in this game. Super impressive. The Cowboys look great. Amari Cooper looked fantastic in this game as well. Cowboys going to be tough, real, real tough, and I feel better about that prediction. How about a tie in Cliff Kingsbury's debut with the Lions? Lions are not good, and they were blowing out the Cardinals for a while, and then Kyler kind of got his sea legs under him in the second half. They started making plays, and then inexplicably, at the end of the game, it's almost as if Cliff Kingsbury didn't realize that ties were a thing that could happen and they weren't going to another overtime. It's like he played for that instead of playing for any kind of win. And so, yeah. Still don't think it's going to work there. But that was fun to watch in the second half. Lions are going to score some points. on Johnson is a much better running back than what they've had for a while. He was good last year. He's going to be good again this year. Patricia's not a head coach. You might be able to make the same argument about Jeremy Pruitt. Matt Patricia is a defensive-minded guy, and even with that, they just don't have enough personnel there. It's a tough division. They're probably going to finish fourth. 49ers come back to beat Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston throws three interceptions in the ballgame. Jimmy G threw an awful pick six in this game. I don't know if he's good, folks. I really don't. And Kyle Shanahan, the way he made Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard look last year, you have to wonder if some of this has been a mirage and if the 49ers aren't going to end up thinking, mm, I'm not so sure that we paid this money effectively. The Bucks, James got a lot of weapons. He's still throwing too many interceptions, even though if you look at 
his charting from year to year. He's gotten better each season. Can't do this. Lose by 14 at home in a division where all the other teams should be winning games. Yeah, the Panthers lost. Yeah, the Falcons lost. They lost to the Rams, and they lost to the Vikings. Not exactly tomato cans there. And then the Saints will play on Monday evening. As you're listening to this, they'll be playing tonight. So good there. And that's pretty much your slate. I'm not going to go back and talk anything about the Thursday night matchup between the Packers and the Bears. you got Broncos, Raiders, my beloved Broncos. Raiders may be the most fascinating team to me in the league outside of the Browns because I want to know what kind of damage was done to this football team by Antonio Brown. Are they going to rally behind this and surprise the hell out of people and win games that you wouldn't expect them to win and just kind of gel in his absence? Or are they going to be an unmitigated diaper fire? as a result of just the smoldering wreckage that he left behind. We shall see. Let's talk some college here. Clemson wins. Trevor Lawrence looks better. Travis Etienne looks better. Defense is kind of carrying them right now. A&M did not look good. Mond was off. He was pressured all day. The defense was in his face. This was not a repeat of last year. Texas A&M still a little bit of ways to go, but they're going to win a lot of games. I mean, Clemson. Clemson's going to cakewalk into this playoff I think I know they've got Syracuse coming up I'm really not too concerned about that their schedule and what they're going to have to deal with in conference just does not scare me whatsoever really at all Alabama trucks New Mexico State nothing strange there Georgia crushes Murray State Oklahoma look Jalen Hurts you know what I've said about him it's not where I would have gone if I were him if I'm trying to replace Guys that are 70% completion percentage passers in three seasons in a row and two Heismans with Murray and Mayfield in a row. But Hertz has looked very good, and Lincoln Riley is on a completely different universe in a completely different galaxy from every other play caller in college football. I don't know that that would translate in the NFL. Eventually, we will probably find out. But this, it looks like it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, and they've had some very talented guys. And Hertz is a very talented guy as well. Lincoln Riley was even saying, you know, there's a lot of growth we need to see from him. He knows he doesn't have the same player that he's had over the past couple of years. He's even said it. Listen to him. If you parse his words, he's making it pretty clear. Yeah, Jalen's not really the passer that I want. But he's a winner. He's a great kid. He's a great athlete. And so it's still going to work, but they're not going to win the national championship. But they might not win the national championship averaging over 60 points a game because that's how good Riley is. Justin Fields, he looks pretty good, doesn't he? 42 to nothing, throttling over the Cincinnati Bearcats. And then was really, well, you know what? Before we even talk about LSU and Texas, because that's really the only other like huge thing I want to talk about outside of Tennessee, but Michigan Army. If you're Jim Harbaugh, can't beat Ohio State, and you've never won a division in the Big Ten since you've been there. You lose bowl after bowl after bowl. I'm not going to kill you for that because I don't know whether or not your kids care or whether or not you care because I generally don't unless it's a college football playoff, and we haven't seen you in one of those. But what you can't do is open up your season at the big house and almost lose to a service academy. Army is a good team. This is not a disrespectful comment to make, but you're Michigan. Phil Steele's got you in the college football playoff. A lot of people do. You've got Shea Patterson. You've got a quarterback. You've got athletes. And you should have lost that football game. And twice in the fourth quarter. I don't know if it's arrogance. I don't know what it is. 
But Harbaugh decides to go for it on fourth down, one on the 43-yard line of Army with two and a half minutes left in a tie game. I mean, you should have lost. They should have lost that game. Army knows that they let that one slip away. Michigan escaped. And I know sometimes September doesn't count when you actually get down to the nitty-gritty of being in that playoff committee selection room, but it should. They shouldn't forget about this. This was not a good performance, not at all, by Michigan. They should be embarrassed by this. And good on Army, and they're going to cause people fits all year long. Auburn wins. Florida wins. Utah wins. Cal and Washington, I'm on the air with the Jason Martin Show, and at 3.30 our time, 4.30 Eastern time, that game's still on because of multiple hours of weather delays out in the state of Washington, and I think over 100 different lightning strikes throughout the evening. So I'm sitting there in the early morning, and we're not watching a London NFL game. We're watching a live college football game. And Cal, how about Cal with the offense? Beating the number 14 team on the road, beating Chris Peterson 20 to 19, 17 yard field goal for Greg Thomas with eight seconds left, and Cal gets the job done. I know there's a lot of circumstances there. It's kind of a weird game, so you probably can't. If I'm in the committee room, I'm not going to kill Washington for this loss, but they're not going to be in a college football playoff anyway, so it's going to be a moot point. Penn State wins, Oregon wins, Wisconsin wins, UCF destroys Lane Kiffin. Michigan State wins easy. Iowa shuts out Rutgers. Maryland beats number 21 Syracuse like a drum, 63-20. to 20. Does Maryland have the best non-Oklahoma offense in the country right now? They sure look like it. They're 2-0. and Washington State, the Pirates, 59-17. to 17. The Mike Leach Pirates, I mean. The Cougs. Crush Northern Colorado. USC, Slovis, comes in. For the injured quarterback you expected you were going to see this year, throws three touchdowns, looks every bit the starting quarterback at Southern Cal, and they beat David Shaw by 25 points. Super impressive win for USC, super impressive performance for Slovis, and good for Clay Helton, who I still don't think is going to be there next year. Colorado beats number 25, Nebraska. I don't know if it's going to work for Scott Frost at Nebraska, and I didn't think it was going to when he took that job. Who are you convincing? How hard is it to recruit people to come to the state of Nebraska instead of Florida or California or Texas or somewhere like that if you're not an Alabama or a Clemson or a perennial power? Because most of the kids at this point, most of the ones that you're recruiting, don't remember a time when Nebraska was nationally relevant. I do, but that's because I'm 40 and I remember Stewart and I remember Tom Osborne and I remember those teams. Those teams are long gone, man. I do not see this working out well. I think Scott Frost could have gone in a lot of places and won a lot of games. I think he's a damn good football coach. He's not going to be able to win in Nebraska. Not the way he needs to. By the way, Chip Kelly, they lost. And you know who they play next week? They have 50, I think it's 50-plus freshmen on that team, one of the youngest teams in the country. Chip Kelly not doing very well right now. The seats were almost empty out there. And they get Oklahoma next. What's the over-under on that game? 100? Because I think Lincoln Riley could score 100 against US, or UCLA next week if he wanted to. And before we leave, Vanderbilt, not very good. I don't need to say very much more about that. If you saw that game, that's a game they could have won. And they still found a way not to. I like Jeff Brom. You know, Jeff Brom was a WKU coach. I covered him while I was there. 
but Vanderbilt has the talent to compete with a Purdue and beat a Purdue, and they did not look the part at all. And Derek Mason still looks to me like a great defensive coordinator that should go take a couple mil to go be a great defensive coordinator. Before we get to Tennessee, let's talk about LSU real fast. LSU beats Texas 45-38. to First of all, what a great football game that was. Great primetime game. I guess it's time to make a couple of this. I was sure that this was not going to work for Coach O at LSU. And may, look, maybe it won't. Maybe he won't be there next year. Maybe it's all going to go awry. It kind of doesn't look like it's going to go awry, though, does it? Joe Burrow showed a lot of flashes last year, a lot that you wanted to see from him, but still it looked like he had a ways to go. And then he throws for 471 yards against Tom Herman's Longhorns. That's the second most yardage an LSU quarterback has ever thrown for. And they bring in Joe Brady of the Saints, who was their passing game coordinator last year. And we know what the Saints have done in the NFL for a while. They've always got receivers at LSU, always. But they never have a quarterback. But Joe Burrow is maybe the front runner of the Heisman right now, wouldn't you say? Because two has been sort of, I mean, he's been good, but he hasn't been like fantastically great, hadn't had to be. Trevor Lawrence has had kind of a slow start. Jalen Hurts hasn't played a Power 5 opponent yet. And Justin Fields hasn't faced a Power 5 opponent yet either. Joe Burrow is one of those guys that looks like he wants it so badly on every play. He's been accurate. He's gotten the ball out of his hands quickly. The scheme and what they're doing offensively at LSU is something we've never seen them do before. I mean, they are up-tempo. They're not running it down your throat continuously. They are just trying to absolutely put up as many points as they possibly can in the 60 minutes. And look, Texas is is pretty good, and Sam Ellinger is a really solid quarterback for them. But they did give up 573 yards to LSU. They gave up eight different scoring drives of over half a football field. So there's still a lot left, but that was LSU. LSU is number, what, three team in the country now? And deservedly so. So I apologize to Ed Orgeron. He's got that team de- He's got that team rolling right now, and Joe Burrow is absolutely dealing. And if I had a Heisman vote today, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best player in the country, in my opinion, but Joe Burrow might get my vote today. And that performance was exquisite from LSU. And now let's talk about Tennessee. They lose in double overtime to BYU 29-26. to A game that, with 18 seconds left, they had a 99.6% chance of winning. Garantano was not great. He threw into triple coverage multiple times in this game, got burned on that one interception, which was just an awful throw. Gray gets a lot of early touches. Chandler looks good. Jawan Jennings is just an absolute beast. We know this. They're making plays. The defense shows up. This was not an effort thing. Last week was an effort thing, at least partially. This week, this team seemed like it was almost that success was a virus that Tennessee has been inoculated against. They had no business losing that game at the time in which they lost it. And Elante Taylor and Nigel Warrior, especially Taylor, though, Taylor just brain farted and cost his team the game. And then Nigel Warrior just could not make the play. He was expecting the help meaning Taylor, and he got it, but it was further downfield, and Warrior just, he reached out and he couldn't do it. 
And so they kick the field goal, send it to overtime, and then BYU gets the job done. Second week in a row, Jeremy Pruitt's been outcoached by somebody else. And I need for Jeremy Pruitt not to go into a press conference after that game and start calling out his players. He didn't call them out by name, but he didn't have to. I know he's mad. I know he couldn't go out there and play. But I also know that there have been a whole lot of organizational and structural mistakes that are coming from the sidelines that don't seem to make a lot of sense. Jim Chaney, as the offensive coordinator, I know what I've heard people close to that program say about Jim Chaney, meaning Georgia, saying that no one shed a tear when he left. I know Pat Forty said that in particular. He said Tennessee couldn't wait to hire a guy that Georgia couldn't wait to see leave that he's the most unprogressive mind that you could possibly find in a sport that the teams that are winning are doing it in new ways and doing it in flashy ways. And here's Tennessee bringing in the easiest thing because it's old ball, just like Jeremy Pruitt is. That's, that's the perception. You may not care, but that's the perception. But Tennessee's 0-2, and they've got Chattanooga coming up, and at this point nothing is a gimme. And then they go Florida and Alabama and Mississippi State, and they've got Georgia coming and South Carolina, this team might be 1-7, and seven and they may finish 3-9. and nine. They should have won that game. They obviously should have beaten Georgia State, but Georgia State completely outplayed them. This one right here, that was the first day they've sold beer in Neyland Stadium, and they stopped selling it in the third quarter, and that's a good thing because there have been a whole lot of people liquored up in those overtimes. I was with my fiance, who's a huge Falls fan, and we're sitting there watching it, and – as we got to the second portion of the first overtime, she said they're going to lose this game. I'm not going to be able to watch my team this year, am I? And I, look, ever the optimist or ever at least trying to put a smile on her face, I'm like, hey, it, it, look, they can still win this game, and even if they don't, they can go 10-2. and two. Spoiler alert, they're not going to go 10-2. and two. Questions are going to continue to be asked about Jeremy Pruitt and whether or not this was a bad hire. The national media is going to continue to pile on because they're still mad about the Greg Schiano mess and the John Curry mess and the Mike Leach mess and all of those things where egg was left on their faces and their minds and they felt like Vols fans had no business doing what they did. So they're mad. And so they're going to take it out on Tennessee every chance that they get. And then there's going to be the questions as to whether or not Philip Fulmer is going to end up coaching the team by the end of the year and pull a Barry Alvarez. The one last thing I will leave you with here today on the first edition of the Quick Six, which hadn't been as quick as I wanted, but look, when you're going through football, I'm just going to talk until I don't want to talk anymore. It's a podcast, right? We can make it work. But what was said about Philip Fulmer? I'm again going to go to Pat Forty, who, look, he's kind of a Tennessee hater because of this whole Shiano thing. So is Pete Thamel. They were part of that Dan Wolken chorus, and even Dan Wetzel. But they host a really good podcast for Yahoo, Thamel, Wetzel, and Forty. And so I listened to the first episode after the Tennessee loss to Georgia State, and they talked about how the rest of the SEC, the athletic directors, laughed at Tennessee when they hired Philip Fulmer because he was so woefully unqualified and was merely hired because his name was Philip Fulmer. And then Thamel went even further and talked about how bad Philip Fulmer was off the field, how bad he was in every other part of that job other than just being an on-field coach, which he had kind of lost the touch with at the end anyway, how how bad he was dealing with players and off-field concerns and all this, and that he has as much – this was the quote from Thamel. 
He has as much business being the athletic director at the University of Tennessee as we do of being Chippendales dancers. I asked Joey Kent about that on the Tennessee Tailgate Show on Saturday, and he said national types just don't know what they're talking about. Now, Joey Kent knows Philip Fulmer intimately. We know this. He played for him. So he's going to be biased in the other way. Truth may lie somewhere in the middle. But I think more importantly, we may not care. You may not care what the national media has to say about the University of Tennessee. But you have to understand the rest of the country gets its information about the University of Tennessee from those national media types. So if they're reading pieces or if they're listening to this stuff, that is their perception of the program. You may not care about that, but as it relates to maybe rankings or perceived biases or committee rooms or bowl selections or any of those kinds of things, they're not reading David Ubbin. They're not reading Joe Rex Road. They're not listening to Chad Withrow and Brent Doherty and Mickey Ryan and Jason Martin and Joey Kent and Jason Swain and all of those folks. They are listening to these people who are speaking from further away from the program that don't pay attention on a day-to-day basis and don't often know what they're talking about. I personally believe that there is something to be concerned about when that becomes a perception that you cannot shake. Tennessee needs to win some games. They should have won against BYU. They'd better win against Chattanooga. And then I still think they can beat Florida because I don't think Florida is that good because I don't think they've got a quarterback down there. I don't think Felipe Franks is very good at all. I still think you could get that job done. And if you do that and you're sitting there at 2-2, and but one of those two wins is Florida – you know, game on. We'll see what happens the rest of the season. The end of the season is a little bit easier. I mean, Kentucky lost their starting quarterback for the year. You don't want to hear that, but that's what happened. Missouri looks like they could be pretty good offensively, but they usually are. Kelly Bryant just annihilated West Virginia. Vanderbilt, you should be able to win that game this year. Should. But that's the thing. Tennessee should be able to win a lot of these games, but they might only win three, or they might win seven, or they might win five. It's so unpredictable at this point because you cannot trust them in multiple key spots. And the Jeremy Pruitt questions are only going to continue. All right, that is the quick six for this Monday, September the 9th, 2019. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. This show is produced by my good pal Will Bowling, who does about 17 different podcasts for The Zone himself. Look at 1045thezone.com. And look at the podcast link and get that drop down. Check out Paul Kaharski elsewhere. It's a fantastic show. Step One Learn Sports, fantastic show. Speedway Soccer, all of Will's different stuff. He's done some baseball stuff. He does a Vols podcast. He's all over the place. We're all super proud of him and super happy to have him in-house as well. Appreciate you checking this show out, The Pop Six. We did a Stranger Things and Joker movie episode. Brad Willis, my new co-host my good friend and uh, the program director here, 104.5 The Zone. We're going to have a lot of fun talking pop culture on that show. Big Six returns on Wednesday evening. And until then, you will find my musings on Twitter at jmartzone. Clear eyes, full hearts, God bless, and good night. I should have ended that with can't lose. I'm just going to tack it on at the end. I'm not going to ask Will to go back and edit it. You're just going to hear this at the end of the podcast. I botched that read at the end. I mean, I don't have a script in front of me.
but I'm sitting here and I realized I had four phrases and I needed five clauses to kind of hit my usual signature. And I blew the Friday Night Lights tagline. I'm embarrassed, folks. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose until I just did. God bless and good night from Nashville.